Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. With us right now, Chris Schipferling. Chris, you are a managing partner at GlobalWiredAdvisors.com. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate you having me on. For sure. All right. Go ahead and tell us what uh, Global Wired Advisors does. Yeah, it's a loaded question. I will absolutely kind of walk you through the yellow brick road of what we do <laughs> day in, day out. So Take us um, to Oz. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take you to Oz, baby. Uh, so we're a lower middle market investment bank and uh, started roughly about four years ago um, based on the idea that we believe that small SMBs or small to medium-sized businesses just deserve a better process when it comes time to the exit planning and exit strategy of their business. A lot of the folks that we work with in particular are founders, they're owners, they're not, you know, kind of second generation ownership. Uh, so they take this, they take this liquidity event and they take this particular process and strategy very seriously as they should, because in most cases, it is the largest liquidity event that they will ever have. And mm-hmm. so we started four years ago, um, coming out of you know some some pretty big careers. My three were four for four partners uh, in the firm that started Global Wired Advisors. My three other partners all came from the bulge bracket investment banks, and really just boiled down what that means is they worked at Deutsche and Wells and Bank of America, City, all the household bank investment banking names, uh, Bayview Asset Management. So they came out of very large investment banking careers, and um, you know you may know some investment bankers that uh, that are friends of yours, maybe maybe not. It's a very arduous uh, time. <laughs> time-consuming, while lucrative, very time-consuming job. And so um, all three of them and myself, we all kind of took the plunge at the same time. I'm the black sheep of the firm. I come from consumer products. Mm -hmm. um, And so our firm is focused on digital consumer products. Um, we're we're, We're a boutique in that sense. So I don't, you know, we don't have a division focused on agriculture or aviation or, you know, et cetera, manufacturing. It's digital consumer products. And so, so yeah, you know, I, I spent most of my career uh, in baby and toy um, in those two industries. And so kind of as a sales and as a sales and marketing executive worked a lot in wholesale and trade marketing. Um, I pivoted my career around 2015 to go full digital was tired of what the buyers were saying to me. Mm. And I was really sick of an, a subjective opinion on the product that I would present in line reviews. And I wanted to have the first handshake with with mom and dad at the time, the parent, that's, that's who my, that's who my audience was. And so I went full digital. So I put my head down, learned digital marketing. I learned Amazon seller central and kind of front to back, did a lot of trial and error. Um, and, uh, and then I started my own consulting firm, really helping enterprise clients formulate good digital strategy. So the four of us came together. We're all in Charlotte. We're based in Charlotte through just wonderful happenstance. Mm. And we said, hey, there's a real opportunity here to help small to medium-sized business owners go through a much stronger process, get access to capital that can mm-hmm. be very difficult, and also provide our, 
you know, a specific part of the economy, um, really, really strong research when it comes to how they should be reading their particular vertical and how they should be thinking about the vertical, you know, research that typically it really isn't available unless you reach kind of that enterprise or institutional level. Yeah. So uh, t- talk to me about the strength of those sectors. So e-com, SaaS, digital agencies, why is that a, a great audience to work with? Yeah. Every secular tailwind right now is in their favor, period. You know, so it is. Every what? Every every secular tailwind you can think of. Basically, they've got a lot of wind in their sails. And mm. a lot of it is coming off of uh, of COVID in 2020 and even, even this year as well. Um, you know, there's all the data high level uh, points to the fact that e-commerce just exploded, right? Naturally, because it was really the one of the only avenues that we could conduct commerce in terms of buying things. And, and, and of course, Josh, like you, I'm sure, and, and your family and my family, we went to Amazon because it was easy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I come home to two or three Amazon Prime boxes almost every single day. Yep. And so, you know, take that as a little tiny proxy and you can see, you know, Amazon exploded. The ability to conduct e- e-commerce and commerce through their marketplace exploded. And then just e-commerce in general also saw some just some exponential growth. Um, SaaS as well, you know, SaaS providers, depending on kind of what they're doing in their business model. I mean, anything supporting e-commerce, anything that's supporting kind of consumer products, of course, saw a nice explosion because you need the tools to equip you to understand how to do whatever you're doing digitally better. And then digital agencies have really, they're starting to come into themselves, but they've been a byproduct of this e-commerce explosion, right? And so- um, I'd say probably in the next, it's happening now, but definitely in the next year or two, you know, we call it the guys that are sh- selling the shovels, right? Um, <laughs> those, are the, those are the ones that we think are going to kind of get a next wave of strong interest in true institutional in- investment interest. Right now, there's a lot of liquidity that's chasing specifically Amazon assets, Amazon based mm-hmm. assets, but then there's just a lot of liquidity chasing e-commerce at the moment. Right, right. So when you talk about, like, let's say an agency or a SaaS platform, like, where should they be, like, in terms of annual sales, that sort of thing, before yeah. it starts to get interesting? Because, you know, it's like, you you know, that you got to make sure they've already got enough, uh, you know, play in the market, They've it's tested, like, it's a good, it's a great investment for the investors, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of giving you some simplistic numbers because the devil is always in the details, but simplistically speaking, and we'll we'll start with SaaS, you really need to start kind of showing an A and what's called an ARR, annual recurring revenue, somewhere around call it that three million dollar mark, maybe two and a half, to really get an acquirer base, you know, a strong interest from an acquirer base, right? From someone who really wants to purchase the company. Sir, what was that number again? About three million is what okay. we, what we mm-hmm. typically see. Where where you, and and that number will actually kind of kind of play a role. It plays a role also in just consumer product companies. I'll get to that in a minute. But that kind of top line of three million, um, just because with SaaS companies, most almost everything fires off. Every transaction typically is done on a revenue multiple. It's one of the few industries, software, software as a service, kind of tech, 
it's typically done on revenue because you just don't have a cogs component, right? You don't have that. You don't have that widget that you're buying from a manufacturer and then you're seeing gross margin between the cost and landed cost of the widget and also your revenue, your top line revenues. With SaaS, it's all about top line revenue. It's all about reoccurring revenue. Um, and typically, you know, what eats up what eats up the OPEX? It's people, it's cloud, uh, mm-hmm. and it's marketing, right? And those things can flux depending on kind of where you are as far as your maturity in the business, right? So that's SaaS. And then, man, details matter. What's your churn rate? What's your MRR? What's your compound percentage every month kind of as you're seeing growth? Like those things actually matter, right? Moving over to an agency, agency is a little interesting. You kind of need to substantiate, I'd say about 5 million plus, maybe 10 million because there's a lot of consultants that are out there, right? There's a lot of businesses that can help other businesses in a consulting role. But to really show, I'd say, infrastructure and stickiness within mm-hmm. your agency and showing actual growth, you need to really kind of be at a minimum five and growing towards that 10 plus. 10 plus tends to be more of that magic number on the agency side. Now, what matters on the agency side? Well, it's your client base. Again, it's your churn rate. How much concentrate revenue concentration is within all of? Let's say you have a, let's say you have fifty clients, but three of them represent ninety percent of the revenue. Mm. That's not very good, right? No, so, right. <laughs> you know, what does the diversification look like, kind of across the clients and across um, across where you're driving revenue? Um, so those kind of in SaaS and digital agencies, those are the, I'd say the, the numbers that matter. And then you have a whole different set on the consumer product side. Yeah. In terms of like um, leadership and the team and infrastructure, that sort of thing, what, what would you say are like attractive components of that? Yeah. I mean, look, on an agency side, it matters most that the, the, you know, the business development is being driven not by the owner, not by the founder. Right. So you want to, you know, kind of slowly like the gif, the Homer Simpson gif as he slowly goes into the hedges. (laughs) You know, that's what you want to start seeing out of the business. And by the time you're taking it to market, the company or the agency really is running on all cylinders without the founders of the company being involved. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they can be involved from a strategic perspective, you know, kind of helping pull some specific levers. But really kind of day-to-day and ops and biz dev, you want all of that to be run by any anyone else other than the founder of the company. So that's that's kind of what matters. And, and team size does matter because they want to know, like an acquire for an agency wants to know, okay, if they have 50 clients, <clears throat> what's their current capacity? Can I take this? Can I use the same team? And can I take it from 50 clients to 75? Or how many more people do I need to add? But with agency, it you know, you're it's a people business, right? You're working on someone's it's it's an Amazon agency or it's a digital marketing agency. You're working on someone's business. That's not necessarily you can create tools that help you automate kind of day to day, but I mean you need people on the SaaS side of things, <clears throat> pretty much same of what I just said, but obviously with SaaS, what matters most is you know automation and marketing and your development team, right? Kind of your tech development team, you know, and, and, and your marketing team really is what matters most because most owners and founders, while they're heavily involved, um, it, they're not necessarily the face that's selling the SaaS software. It's the SaaS software that's selling itself, right? Yeah, right. Um, but team and infrastructure in general, if you want to try and grab, a, you know, if you're not trying to sell to a what we call a roll-up company, you know, kind of a roll-up holdings business or an aggregator, as they as they've called them, 
if you're not trying to sell to them and you're really trying to go after a more sophisticated acquirer base, which would be private equity or a family office, you know, then you're going to start looking at your, I mean, it, it, it starts to, it starts to matter when it comes to true, everything I just said matters even, even more with a team and infrastructure An aggregator or a roll up, which, you know, with SAS, there's not a whole lot of them out there and digital agencies. There's also not a whole lot of them out there. Um, so it's not nearly as, as germane, but for the ones that decided, Hey, I'd like to purchase this business. They're going to be looking at what they already have and effectively kind of either just buying the SaaS company and rolling it into what they have currently as operations Mm -hmm. and the digital agency going, Hey, I'm just really buying your book of business and I'm just going to pick off. It's like an aqua hiring. I'm going to pick off your people. (laughs) So I'm curious about, let's say it's an agency owner. They're doing great volume. Owner's been doing, you know, kind of at the helm for quite some time. They've got a great team, a great book of business. Um, what is life like? I mean, I know that there's an infinite number of models, uh, but I'm, I'm maybe there's a case study or example that you can think of in terms of like, you know, what is life like then post acquisition? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can think of one particular example. I mean, with agencies, typically um, we're just not, I, I don't know when we'll be there, but there's still a pretty strong or stronger transition period that needs to occur. Mm-hmm. Um you know, just because you're, you're, you know, if you're, if you're getting kind of rolled up into a more strategic from a strategic purchase, and this is the one I'm thinking of, you know, there's usually a couple things that come along with agencies. Agencies have the, the, the transaction structure has a little bit more retained risk. So there's more earnouts that are typically involved when it comes to those transactions. So it requires like the founders and the owners to at least stay on either from a, a advisory perspective um, in a strategic role, um, but they're speci- but but they're motivated by hurdle rates that they need to hit in order to get the earnout. Hurdle rates meaning like specific revenue or gross, you know, kind of gross margin or actual profitability targets that the acquirer will place. Um, usually, kind of looks like most cases a, a year you stay on in the agency side of things, uh, maybe a little bit longer, just depending, just again, you know, even like you just alluded to devil is in the details. Every transaction is different, but if it's something that's a really just strong, strong agency, it's being merged into another agency, or you've got a private equity firm that's purchasing them to scale. Um, yeah. I mean, you're going to probably have founder owners staying on for a period of time and that can flex, uh, and then typically once that's over, they might offer a consulting contract mm-hmm. uh, or he goes to Tahiti and kind of hangs out for a little bit. <laughs> we hope it's Tahiti. That's right. We... That doesn't sound bad. That doesn't sound bad. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Chris, were you always, as far as like one of the partners here, was this always the target e-com SaaS digital agencies or did you start one and kind of grow into the others? No, for Global Wired, it's always been it's always been really kind of digital consumer products and SaaS as well as digital agencies really are byproducts. We're not advertising ourselves as much on the SaaS and digital agency side, um, although we're we're well suited and have taken uh, businesses to market in those two focus areas. But um, it's it's I mean majorly minority to consumer product companies that we've taken to market over the past three years for sure. So we we started with we want to be involved in digital consumer products, and so naturally like we've got two opportunities right now 
to take fulfillment centers to market, right? That are focused on e-commerce. So, I mean, from, from our perspective, the core is really digital consumer. And then now we're, you know, SaaS digital agencies, call it fulfillment, and then other companies that might start to pop up that are in that same ecosystem, you know, we're well equipped to take to market because we're just so laser focused on digital consumer product. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and so as a, as a company, tell me about Global, Global Wired. Like, who are you guys and where are you based and something, you yeah. know, about the, I guess, the company itself. How, how do you run what you run? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned before, we're four partners. Um, we're all, you know, stakeholders in the business, um, equal, equal owners in the company. Um, and, uh, we've got a support staff. We're now up to, I believe 10 total here, um, probably growing the spring to about 12 or 13. So we're staying boutique. Uh, we're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got, you know, one office, which, uh, you know, we get asked a lot, are you a business broker? And we say, no, it's a totally different model. It's a completely different business model. Mm-hmm. You know, while a business broker kind of in its most simplistic form takes company X and sells it, Right. While we do the same thing, it's a totally different model that we deploy um, as far as how we how we conduct that particular process. But yeah, based in Charlotte and uh, tr- trying to have as much fun as we possibly can. <laughs> um, and, and so what do you like? Do you already have like you've got all the investors that you need? And so at this point, it's like, you know, now it's just evaluating agencies and SaaS companies, e-com companies out there? Or, you know, I I wonder like from a chicken and egg perspective, do you need more chickens or more eggs? (laughs) No, I mean, look, every single, every single transaction we take to market is different and there's a different buyer set that we take it to. So, you know, I think the misconception is out there that we have a specific buyer pool. We're going to take your company to, and that's, that's a, that's a myth, you know, and a buyer list is a myth and a true investment Mm. banking process what we are, what we do is we take a business and depending on what they need, you know, some businesses might need a capital raise, you know, now we're only working on 15 to $20 million capital raises at the minimum plus, but you know, Hey, you've got a really big idea. You want to go acquire, you want to go, you know, you want to roll up and you want to become a much larger business and you're not ready to exit. Um, you know, we can help with that particular capital raise. And that's a different type of that's a different, we take them to capital providers and debt providers, right? But then on the M&A side, which is majority what we do, we call it sell-side engagements. Um, Josh has a wonderful e-commerce business. Josh was introduced to us either by a friend, you heard us speak at a conference, you heard us um, on this podcast, and uh, we start to have a conversation about your business and what are your long-term goals. Mm-hmm. You know, our criteria, we're taking on businesses that are really five to six million of revenue plus. So let's just say you have $10 million of revenue. You and I start to discuss what it would look like to go to market. We do a full audit and deep dive into your business. And then we start to formulate a, an opinion and a view of where you what, what's probably the best type of buyer for, for Josh's e-commerce business. Um, and what's what's probably the valuation range. And once we've done all of that work uh, and you're happy with us and we like your business, then we we engage. You engage with us to sell your company in its most simplest form. And then we take you through a very sophisticated process. You're not doing hardly, I mean, you're doing some work in the beginning, some work in diligence, but our firm's doing 90% of the work through that process. And we're identifying the right buyer. So instead of us just kind of throwing it out to the market, 
which is a typical kind of business broker process, we're actually doing what we call mark or make or create the market, right? So we're actually identifying a list that could range anywhere from, you know, 300 to a thousand different folks that we believe would really want to see Josh's e-commerce business. Maybe it's category they've expressed and we know that they've invested in e-commerce or they want to invest in e-commerce. Um, and then we take you through a process and then we effectively uh, find a buyer. We And we mm. hope to get lots of bids. We find a buyer, we go under LOI, and then we race towards a close and we're involved the entire time in closing. That's the most turbulent time. <laughs> Deals love to die. They absolutely have a propensity <laughs> to not want to close. It's a lot. You got to have a good stomach for this, this line of work, I think. I'm telling you, and it's 80% psychology, both on the buyer <sighs> and the seller. You know, it's like maybe 20% actual real objective data that's kind of going back and forth. But <sighs> nonetheless, um, that's effectively what we're doing. So when you're asking kind of chicken and egg, I probably would say it all in a different way and how I just described there. You know, Josh finds us we engage, we help take your business to the right buyer, we identify the right buyers, and then we help you with close. And then you have what would be considered, I mean, on a $10 million revenue basis, and you're a digital consumer product company, you'd probably have about 2 million of what we call EBITDA, right? And you're probably going to have anywhere between at the lowest 10 to 15 million plus liquidity event. Again, Mm -hmm. these are some of the largest events that occur for a small business owner. Wow. Well, very cool. All right. So your website, globalwiredadvisors.com. Uh, Chris, you seem like a good person to know. Let's, let's stay in touch. We're not, we're not at those levels yet. We will be. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll chat. Then we'll chat for sure. Um, But Chris, when someone goes to your website, uh, what should they click on? What should they do? Like, how do they engage at that next level? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're 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 a fairly uh, we're we're a fairly altruistic group, and so we love to just help. You know, there's a lot of small business owners that come to us with either messy financials, you know, a messy business plan. You know, they focus too heavily on product, didn't focus on brand. You know, just kind mm. of think, things that we can really help with. We've got a couple ways. I mean, one, my email address and phone number is on the website. That's how accessible we are. Number two, we have a consultation form where you can actually fill it out and give me a little bit more information prior to us getting on a call. And then number three, we have a valuation tool. So that valuation tool, it's very high level. It's like 90,000 feet, but a lot of small business, the reason why we have it, like you go to Goldman Sachs, right? Or JP Morgan, they don't have a valuation tool. But the reason why we have it is a lot of small business owners like to put in their numbers and they like to kind of see something spit out on the other end mm-hmm. to give them at least to formulate an idea of where they might be. And so that's why we have that on there, but it's still 90,000 feet. But what we can do with that is get on a call with you, learn more information and really start to help you formulate where your valuation might actually be. Yeah. Chris, this is great. I'm so glad we got connected. Thank Thank you so much for this again. Your website, globalwiredadvisors.com. Chris Schipferling, one of the managing partners. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. 
I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag UpMyInfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and re-share you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? Please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review, and we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.